Hi lovely people, welcome to Dog Wizardry. A charming dog trainer having noteworthy conversations with thought leaders in an assortment of fields. Voted most original podcast on the internet. Here is Dog Wizardry. Hey, comma, this is the Dog Wizard. You can check out my website at dogwizardry.com. I have an amazing interview interview with you today with a lady named Nola from performancedogsinaction.com. She runs a uh, dog sports facility. It's pretty much one of the most amazing places I've ever seen. And uh, if you're considering sending your dog to a regular dog daycare, that's pretty boring compared to this. So they have lure coursing, they have rat hunt. The rats don't get hurt, by the way. They have dock diving. They have pretty much everything. So this is a pre-recorded interview, and we're going to just jump right into it. Um, Nola, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the facility? Well, I'm an elderly woman, 62 now, and I have always loved dogs and animals. I've been growing up on a ranch and have always been uh, interested in training animals of all kinds. And dogs just happen to be my specialty. And I've always wanted, I've always believed that dogs could do multiple things. It used to be that most people believed dogs could just do obedience or just do guarding or just do this or just do that. But I thought, no, my dog does it all. Why can't I teach other people to let their dogs do it all? So I developed a university for dogs. That's amazing. So I want to just jump right into some of the the nuts and bolts, if if, if you're okay with that, of dog training and dog psychology. And then, you know, there's obviously in this conversation, we may not get to everything. I've talked to my listeners in the past about lure coursing and fly ball and weight pulling and just different dock diving and lots of things that most your average dog owner doesn't really know about. But I, this is, I just want to start, have, the, have this as a starting point. Could we talk a little bit about release commands? Oh, absolutely. So the first thing you want to know is, does the dog really know what stay is? <laughs> if I'm going to release you, you really need to know what stay is. So I show, I have a tendency to show dogs what I want. I'll put a dog on a leash, and I'll move forward and say, let's go. And then I'll stop, and I'll say, stay, stay, and pet the dog real soothingly so that I know when I ask that dog to stay, he means no motion. He knows what that means. At that time, when I release the dog, you have to be careful you don't use your body language because that's how we first speak to our animals. They watch us, and they get what we're trying to say. They have to learn our language, but they know our body language. So if my body moves and I say, let's go, he'll soon learn that the words let's go or ready or okay, whatever release word I give it means that we can now move. So you want to make sure that you don't move until you say that word. That way the dog learns to identify the word with moving forward. So one of the things I do is I actually answer dog, uh, dog training questions online for like, you know, extra, ex, a little bit of extra money. And one of the questions, one of the things that comes up, this is the reason I ask you about release commands, because it just seems like it's something that dog trainers understand, but your average pet owner doesn't. And people will write me like, well, you know, my dog does this thing, but he knows basic commands 
And to me, it's like, okay, well, you obviously don't understand difference in basic commands and basic obedience and advanced obedience. And like, I think the main, main, main thing people are missing is like three things. They don't understand that dogs learn in increments. They don't know that they need repetitions and they don't know that, that they don't have complete control without release commands. What do you think? Well, that's probably true. I mean, I see people from anything that all they ever say to their dog is the dog's name to the point where the dog is just sick of hearing its name. And so I tell people, instead of saying your dog's name, what image do you have in your head? What are you trying to get the dog to do? Well, I want it to come. Okay. Well, then say it. Spot, come. (laughs) You know, so I mean, a lot of people just say the dog's name repetitiously but they really are trying to get the dog to do something. That's a problem I see often. And then the other thing I see is that people constantly tell their dog, no, no, no. To the point where the dog thinks his name is spot. No, I have a first name and a second name. My first name is spot. My second name is no. So those are the two flaws I see quite often. That's really interesting. So um, what do you think about the word no versus nope, N-O-P-E? I don't use anything that I say to you. If you, if I, if I ask you, you got a blue car, what are you going to say? You're um, going to say no. If I ask you, do you like bananas? No. So what I tell people is to come up with a corrective sound. Thank you. We want a correction sound. Some kind of sound that you're comfortable with that you only use with that dog when he is exhibiting behavior you don't want to deal with. Get out of the garbage, ah, 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 whatever it is. Nola, I feel, I just want, I I wish this was a a video call because I feel such a connection with you. I want to let you know, as far as that correcting sound goes, I want to say two things about that. First of all, I only make correcting sounds. I never say no or nope. The reason I asked you that question is because there are, there's a, a fairly, you know, well-known dog trainer in New York that's like, always say nope. It's, you know, it's much softer energetically and stuff like that. But me personally, I'm always like, ah, ah, or like I make some sort of a noise that the dog knows that I disagree with it. And on that note, I wouldn't mind you touching on uh, helping the listeners explain the difference between a correction and discipline. Well... The biggest, the biggest phrase about discipline is that every dog is different. And I have found that trainers who just use one particular method, and it usually is the softer method, like nope. Oh, that sounds much gentler. Well, dogs are dogs. They're not people. You're not talking to a five-year-old kid. You're talking to a dog. But when you go into discipline, you really have to look at that person, and that dog. Because I work with high-drive border collies. And if I walked around and said, nope, they're just going to laugh. They'll be all behind the bar and cracking up. But if I work with a nice little Bichon who's just maybe getting into the cat food and he doesn't need to, nope might be very appropriate. So the first thing I would say is, what is the dog like? Is it a soft dog? Is it soft in this area, but hard-headed in that area? Are you talking about a foodie dog that constantly gets into the garbage? The biggest thing about correction is you got to one-up it. 
So if it's really worth it to me to jump over the fence and go play with the neighbor's dog, you got to correct that dog so it just isn't worth it. No, you're not going to jump over the fence because when you do, A, B, C, and D is going to happen. So the dog goes to jump over the fence and he goes, mm, it's just not worth it. Because once a dog does something, it's in their file. They always have it in their head. So now we have to create a bigger file that says, mm, not worth it. Exactly. And and also when, you know, I, I'm... When in my experience, when dogs do something uh, that we don't want, a, a behavior that we disagree with, I look at it as a as a teachable moment, and I'm I'm welcoming the fact that I know my dog may test me three or four times, but it gives me the opportunity to teach him, you know, that show him that I'm consistent. Absolutely, because people will go and pick, prevent their dog from making a mistake, and I'll say, no, no, no. Let him make the mistake. Let him go after the chicken. That way, when he goes to kill the chicken, I can fix it. Right. But if you never let him go after the chicken, how am I going to fix it? Yep. Okay. I would like to, I want to revisit this, you know, because I, we, we have, um, we still have, we still have a good amount of time, but uh, I just want to jump all over the place and then come back to this. Let's talk about something that right away, when I looked at your website, I was like, oh man, I love this place. Let's talk a little bit about dog kayaking. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a fun thing. Um, in our area, of course, sunny California, we have lots of lakes, and we have a lot of people who love to kayak during the fairly good weather months. So because people like their companion with them, um, my concern was that you know people would take their dog and not be able to let it fall off the kayak and then get it back on the, you know, you don't want to learn while you're in the middle of the lake or the river. So my concern was more safety issues. How do we introduce the kayak to the dog? How do we get it to jump off into the water, get it to come back to the boat, pull it up on the boat? You know, what is the actual process in doing that? Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Have you ever encountered a dog that was just, totally terrified of the water or the boat every weekend yeah all the time I a lot of dogs are really afraid of water um my my biggest theme for introducing water to dogs is to get the dog hot the dog needs to be like playing ball in the sun and getting hot once he's hot then you introduce getting into the water and the dog sees it as ah this is, this is great stuff. I was all hot and thirsty, and now I'm all in the water getting cooled, and it's enjoyable at that point. But if you try and introduce a cold dog just throwing it into the water, that usually doesn't work. It usually kind of repels the dog from water. Yeah, and he may never like water again just because of that. Yeah, you have to really – what I have is a dog, and I put the dog on a leash after they're heated up, and I ask the dog to get into their belly. And then I just sit right by the dog and tell it, good, good, get a drink, get a drink, and just kind of soothe the dog and let him just experience the water in a real positive manner. Um, after the dog does that, you can try and introduce some toys and see if the dog will learn to play in water. Uh -huh. And then you can walk into the water um, up to your waist and ask the dog to just swim around you as you hold on to the body harness. 
so that the dog learns, okay, I just have to swim and I get to go back into shore, you know. So little by little, like you were saying, just small increments, let's do this. And then the next day we'll do that. And then little by little, the dog will learn to like it. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I used to have a, a dog walking, dog training business in, in New York City. And I unfortunately saw like tons of dogs that would just like drag their owners down the street. And it, it was a, it was especially dangerous there because there's like chicken bones everywhere and glass bottles and all kinds oh. of stuff like that. Oh, wow. And it just it just occurred to me all the time, like, why don't you know? These people are all wondering why their dogs pull outside, but they, ne you know, I'm just getting back to increments. They never taught their dog to walk on a loose leash, even in their apartment hallways and then in the quiet area outside their apartment and in the lobby and, you know, those type of increments. Yeah, that's a good point because dogs will always do their best in your living room or kitchen. So if you can't even get the dog to walk nice from the bedroom to the kitchen, <laughs> you're probably not going to get it to walk nice anywhere. So they're like our kids. You know, you teach manners at home on the dining room table so that when your kids go out to eat, they have some kind of concept of how to behave. And that's how dogs are. We teach them in our homes, and then we expand their world a little bit at a time. So you have a life that I feel like a lot of people would want to live. You know, like I'm looking at this facility. I mean, I know, I know that at least I would love to be a part of something like this. I mean, this is just unreal what you got going on there. Could you talk a little bit about maybe some of the other dog sports? Like actually the, the original reason I called you was about herding, but that was before I knew you did dock diving and all these other things. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little well, bit? I have a Yes, I have a big belief that when dogs get a lot of good exercise, both physically and mentally, they make better dogs. And the other thing, people get a dog for companionship and a relationship. And through performances like agility and dog diving and herding and working as a team with my dog, it kind of creates that relationship that is the original reason why people get dogs. People learn not to like their dogs when they just sit in the backyard and they jump all over them and they don't know anything. But if they work with them and train with them and become a team, they, you can create this bonding and relationship through performance that you can't get any other way. And so as, a, as that as my vision, I set up um, rally, which is like a, a newer sport that people learn obedience we do obedience here. We do dock diving, kayaking, um, herding. We do goats, sheep, geese, ducks. Uh, we have um, what is called the iron dog every year where people are into six different sports, one dog, one handler. They have to do six different things. So there's nature trail, riding on a bicycle with your dog. There's all kinds of things you can do to create this companion team relationship. The biggest thing when I teach is that the person is in charge and the dog is to respond to me as, as its owner. And you can do that through a lot of positive training. There are some times you have to tell the dog, nah, we're not doing it that way. <laughs> you got to listen to me. We're doing it this way. And that's what creates that bonding effect with the dog, getting involved in training. Hmm. 
Really, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, in my view, and I talk about this all the time, I think that most people get dogs uh, for selfish reasons because they just want something to love and to love them back. And, you know, they just say, oh, but I just love dogs. Or if they love pit bulls or, or Maltese, like, I just love pit bulls or this breed or that breed. But, you know, like for me, getting a dog is really about the fulfillment of the dog and, and taking the relationship and the teamwork to the next level, the way that you're describing. Yeah, I, I think that what people want out of their dogs is only created when they put hands on, feet to the ground, and interact with the dog. The dogs do not come with this magical formula that they automatically bond to you. You have to earn that. You have to earn their respect. You have to earn their praise. You have to earn them wanting you. It's not enough just to show up and give them a bowl of dog food every day. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, actually, I know a lot of people and, and I, I think you're not going to take this the wrong way. And my audience is smart enough not to take it the wrong way. I'm just using pit bulls as an example. Okay. What I'm about to say could go for any powerful breed like um, Mastiffs or it could even go for tiny dogs. It doesn't even matter. I know a lot of people, I just met one recently. It's like, oh, I love, I love pit bulls. We just got a pit bull. And like, these are people that never owned a dog before. They never read a dog training book or, or watched a dog training video before. So they're not teachers of dogs, you know, in any sense. And they're wondering why their dog, you know, the, the home pack structure and the status of this dog at home says everything. You know, the dog, this dog rules the house. And they're wondering why it's becoming aggressive and that kind of stuff. And people are like, well, you know, pit bulls get such a bad rap. But in my in my view, it's like, yeah, they do get a bad reputation in part because of people like this that have good intentions. I'm not mad at them. But they're like, you know, I just love pit bulls. But they don't really know anything about dog psychology. Well, we have to take it back from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Every dog breed was bred for a job. Right. Every dog was bred for a job. That means that this particular breed has this coding of genes and is programmed a certain way. Like you're not going to take a Bichon Trajet and go hunting with that dog. That would be ridiculous. You're not going to take a lap and try and make it a lap dog while you eat chips and watch the goody shows. Uh -huh. It's not going to work because it's not programmed that way. It's going to drive you crazy. So after hundreds and hundreds of years of breeding dogs, a person thinks they're going to change their genetic programming. It's just not thinking things through properly. So pit bulls were bred for fighting. They're terriers. All terriers kill things. That's why we have terriers on ranches. So they'll run and kill the rats. So they'll kill mice. So they'll kill a possum. Have you ever seen a dog kill a rat? The rat bites the hell out of the dog. The dog goes through a lot of pain. And it only makes the dog matter, so he kills the rat. So these things are bred for hundreds of years in dogs. So if you think you can change that by being nice to a dog, you're really misleading yourself. Border collies are bred to, to herd sheep to move cattle, to be in control, to gather, to split, to drive. You're never going to get it out of that dog. So if you get a herding dog, he's going to herd something, either your children or he's going to herd flies or he's going to herd the water 
or the toys in the pool, he's going to hurt something. You're not going to deprogram the dog. And so my biggest thing is, okay, you love dogs. Great. What does your life look like? How can we get you a dog that matches your life? Right. Right. A lot of people don't get dogs that match their lives, and they also don't understand it, and you've touched on this already, that they don't understand diff- that, that every dog is unique and they all have different temperaments and drives. You know, and and they'll think like... Absolutely. Right, and they'll think, oh, my, my old dog used to love toys, you know. You know, maybe your dog's drive is not towards toys or something like, you know what I mean? Exactly. Every dog is, is measured basically on a scale from one to ten. One being the lowest drive and the lowest level of intensity. Ten being a high drive dog. So if I got a level ten lab, I better not have an apartment. But I could have a level one lab and just go to the park and play ball. And so I have this lab for 10 years. I get my second lab. Oh, wow. This dog is nothing like the dog I I used to have. Even though it's the same breed, it's a different level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, yeah, it's just like my mind is going so many places because you there's so many things to talk about. Um, let's talk a drop about lore coursing because I love lore coursing and most people don't even know what it is. Just kind of talk a little bit about that lore coursing. That is true. Yeah, a lot of people don't. Well, I remember when nobody knew what agility was. The first the first time I set up an agility course in my in my university here, people would pull in, they'd let their kids out of the car and climb all over the park twice. <laughs> and I have to run out. No, no, it's agility for dogs. And lower coursing is kind of that same thing. It's kind of at a point where the only people who really know about it are people with sight hounds. Uh-huh. But lower coursing is for all breeds. And it basically is using an electronic cable that has been placed into a big field and has like a map or a course on it. And we tie a, a, a bright white color, usually a plastic bag, to the electric cable. And through electro- electricity, we throw that cable around like it's a rabbit running through the field. And the dog basically just gets attracted to the rabbit and chases it and then comes back to the original point. So do they let go of it or do they give it to the handler? Or how does that work? No, the the uh, operator always makes sure that the lure is ahead of the dog. Uh-huh. The dog catches it. That's that would be considered, um, you know, that the the operator didn't anticipate the dog moving ahead. Oh, but really? you always okay. want to make sure the dog keeps going. Yeah. So then, it is it's it would seem like almost like the dog is never satisfied. Well, one might think that, but as the lure comes back into the box or the original place, uh-huh. the dog kind of gets, they're pretty heavy, they're pretty much out of breath, they're he- heavily breathing, and they see that it's a plastic bag, and they get, they love it. They hear that machine, and they will just start barking and going crazy. Oh, yeah, they love, what? once a dog is addicted to that, you can't, you can't get it out of them. I always wanted to ask somebody this, so, okay, so it's a plastic bag, right? Yes. Okay. Could it ever be like a stuffed animal or something like that? I thought about that myself, but like just putting putting a tail or something of a stuffed animal. But I guess the plastic bag kind of is a little bit more motion and lighter through the air, and it just seems to have a little more body to it. 
There's got to be something in between. You know how they have like those kites in the sky that that look like they're like in motion or have wings or something. Like, I wish there could be something like that that was like part stuffed animal, part motion. Yeah, I kind of thought about that myself. It seems like it would be more attractive to the deaf. But yeah, it's something to think about. I would probably do weird stuff like put meat in the middle of the toy or something that I'm not supposed to do. That's probably a bad idea, right? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know that I would put so much of that prey drive in because you don't want your neighbor's cats to start disappearing. <laughs> That's actually, I really, I'm glad you said that because that would probably make them a little bit too primal. That's like uh, recreating the hunt. Yeah, I think that would be a little, I think that would be crossing a line. <laughs> Yeah. So okay. So as far as dock diving goes, what are they? Are they jumping into a pool or a lake? Well, if you go to like fairs and stuff like that, they have what is a huge uh, rectangle pool, and they have the dock twenty four inches off of the water, and it's pretty much like a swimming pool. And they the dog is on a thirty five foot uh, excuse me a forty foot dock. He can use some or all of that dock in order to gain speed. Uh-huh. Um, the handler was in, usually in front of the dog, dog uh, tossing the toy out. Um, some dogs are relieved after the toy has landed in water, and some dogs are released as the uh, toy is being thrown. It just depends on that team. And then, obviously, of course, the furthest jump wins. Because I'm looking at your website, and it looks like there's like a lake yeah, we use we use the pond um, because I do so much introduction to water that I have my dock sitting on a pond, and that makes it I can control the level of water, however high or low. So if I'm doing a um, an introduction to dock diving, I want that water level high. As the dog advances, I'm going to let that water level drop. Are there fish so that in the there? dog has a little more challenge. Are there, uh, there are a few fish in there, yeah. Uh huh. Have you ever seen any like, like fun inter- interactions between the dog and the fish, or anything interesting? No, you can't really see. You keep um, I keep UV ray dye on in my pond so I don't get algae, uh-huh. and it pretty much keeps it darker looking, like Got a dark it. blue. Got it. And wh- where in California are you? Um, I'm right near Sacramento. I'm right near the Sacramento Airport. Okay, and folks, don't forget, we're talking to Nola from PerformanceDogsInAction.com. If you know anybody, or if you're listening in that area, if you know anybody with a dog in that area, call call the, call the Performance Dogs in Action, because this place, the best I've seen, hands down, they even call it something like the Disney Disneyland for dogs. Yeah, a lot of people feel that way, yeah. They get a lot of choices of stuff to do. Do you use, um, uh, what do you call those things, like a, a herding staff? Yeah, the staff is actually um, an extension of our arm so that the dog can see which direction and pressure we want it to go. Do you yeah, ever- the staff is, um, there's different ways you could use staff. Um, you, can, you can, like sometimes I use bamboo. Sometimes I use like a horse whip. Sometimes I use a flag. Um, it depends on what I'm trying to gain out of the dog, but it's basically a directional mechanism. 
Do you ever touch the dog with it? I don't mean that, obviously. In a oh, no, 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 okay. uh-uh, no. So with a heel... No, it basically is just a, um extension of my arm saying, don't come this way, go that way. Uh-huh. It's just a, merely a directional. But with a healing stick, you might tap a dog's chest, right? A, a, you know, a healing stick. No, I don't know that I ever have. If a dog is coming in too close on livestock, I'll use the flag, and that flag makes a real um, kind of like a noise that uh, I don't know what it would sound like. Almost like you're shaking out a rug, you know, it just or shaking out a paper bag. It just makes a whippy noise, and the dog is like, oh, I don't like that noise, and it won't come into that space. Wait, what is so it that it makes creates, that noise? What makes that noise? It's called a flag. It's called a flag, and it's a hurting flag, and it is kind of like a long stick. And it has material on the end that's real light nylon. And when you whip it, it makes a noise that the dogs back off from the livestock. Yeah, and so uh-huh. you can you can control the dog from coming in too close. Uh, like he's putting too much pressure on the livestock. Or if they're trying to nip or bite the livestock, you would make that noise and it keeps the dog back. Kind of like if you shook pennies in a can, you know. Uh-huh. Or, you know, dogs don't like abrupt noises. Right. Sometimes uh, people that have dogs like Aussies, they love to get on the counter and eat food. So I tell them to get their pots and pans out, get the lid, and just bang your lid all over the counter and make it a stress area. <laughs> dogs don't like noises like that. No. They're... So that's kind of what the flag does. It keeps the dog back from getting too close to the livestock. It's flag, F-L-A-G? Yeah, it's called um, a herding flag. I gotta check that out. But, but you, have you ever used not not for hurting? But have you ever used a heels a heel stick healing stick? Just um, teaching a dog to heal. I've used I've used um, PVC pipe to keep the dog from forging ahead. Uh-huh. So let's say the dog. Let's say I have a dog, a new dog. I'm trying to teach healing to. I'll put a whole hot dog in my left hand, and I just leave the leash loose. I never tighten a le- leash on a dog. Never. And so I let that dog know, hey, look, when you stand next to me, you get a treat. So I take one step, the dog stands next to me, good, good, he gets a treat. So as we progress, the dog is next to the fence and next to me. He's in between two spaces. So he can't go left and he can't go right. All he can do is go forward or go back. As he tries to pull forward, I will take a stick and I will tap it on the ground and say, ah, 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 ah. And then that pressure makes the dog come back from the stick next to me, and then I praise him again. Good there, get, whatever. If you call it here, I call it there. I want you right there. Stay right there. That's an easy word for me to say. But some people say heel. So good heel, good heel. So the dog learns, oh, when I'm in this space, if I stay here, I get food for making the right choice. If I forge ahead, I get the stick on the ground, ah, 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 and I don't really like that. So I'm choosing for the hot dog. That's real interesting. So you hit the stick on the ground, you tap. I wouldn't, I would think. Yes, that, I may. Uh-huh. Yeah, tapping the ground makes the dog go, oh, I don't want to go, I don't want to go ahead. That's enough pressure. What do you mean by pressure? What do you mean by Okay, so let's say you and I are standing close. We're talking back and forth, looking at each other. All of a sudden, I stick my right arm straight out, and I put my hand in front of your face. 
that pressure is going to make you want to take a step back. Uh-huh. Okay. That's interesting. So if I go, every animal has pressure. So if I go up to a bird, the bird's going to fly off. It has real light pressure. If I go up to an elephant, I could probably walk right up to it because I'm not even big enough to create pressure. <laughs> so dogs have a pressure pretty close to people. Some dogs like labs, they can take a lot of pressure. You can get in their space. And then other dogs, like herding dogs, they have real light pressure. You hardly move your foot and they back up. So every dog has a certain amount of pressure they'll take. So depending on what I'm trying to create out of the dog, I apply that much pressure. So if I want my dog to walk backwards, I'm going to step into him, into him, into him, into him. And the pressure of me coming at my dog makes him walk backwards. If I, if I, if I walk backwards, it makes my dog want to come to me because now there is no pressure. I've released the pressure. So we use our body, our hands, our feet, our body as pressure to create motion out of the dog. If I want my dog to do a sidestep, I simply take my foot or a rod and I put it on the side of the dog and I move to the side. The rod pushes the dog to the side. If I want my dog to make a turn, I put pressure on the side of the head. It makes the dog's head bend and we get a turn. So I can create anything out of the dog by pressure. Mm-hmm. And then, and then once the dog is doing uh, the behavior or is in the position that you want, how do you switch it up and show praise and change your tone and do that on, in an instant? I always tell people you do it like a light switch. You got to be as fast as a light switch. If you're not as fast as a light switch, you can't have a dog. Give me right. a dog. Thank you. <laughs> so. You know, the light goes on, hey, yay, good. As soon as that dog turns around and puts his back away from you and his nose is sniffing on the ground, you got to do switch the light the other way. Hey, 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 hey. Yeah. And as soon as he looks back to you, yeah, good, that's what I want. So our voice, our tones, our timing, life is all about pressure and timing. And when you train an animal, it's all about pressure and timing. So true. So true. And the, the thing, one thing that I find about a lot of either male trainers or just guys that own dogs in general is they don't change their tone. You know, like they'll be like, they'll be like, no, good. Like, you know, it's just like they're doing like the same thing. Yeah. It's, and then there's just people who don't themselves, they don't hear the difference. Some people are really, truly tone deaf. So I usually give an example for clients like that. Like, for guys, I'll always say, yeah, that boy, that boy. Because a guy can say that and not feel uncomfortable. Uh-huh. So the dog starts to learn. When his voice lifts a little bit and I hear, that boy, that boy, then the dog knows, okay, my owner's happy. That's what I'm supposed to do. And then when the dog is bad, okay, now you can get down low. <laughs> you know, and so you have these two contrasts. And even men can do that. There's this thing that I want to do. I want to know if, is this a thing or is this just me? Like if, it, if I say, if I'm teaching a dog to sit and then, um, it sits, I always say like, I'll say sit, good sit. Or like if he's sitting, I'll say good sit. I'll never say like good boy. I'll say like good heel and good there. Or what a, what a good whoa, whatever the word is. That's exactly the way dogs get a big vocabulary. So a lot of agility students, when I tell them, go tunnel, 
No, he is a good boy, but tell him what he did. Good tunnel. That way he learns that obstacle is called a tunnel. Just exactly like you said. When the dog sits, you tell him sit. When he lays down, you tell him lay down. If he goes and gets a drink, good, get a drink, whatever it is. <laughs> label, 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 label. And just what you said is how you label. I love it. Oh, man. All right. Well, um, this has gone on for a while, so I think maybe we should end on that note. But there's okay. like 10,000. If there's anything you want to, by the way, we could add on a few extra minutes. If there's anything you're dying to talk about or you think people need to know, feel free to throw it out. But uh, is is there anything right now you'd, you'd like to talk about? I don't have to end it this second. I think the biggest need I see is dogs need exercise. Mm -hmm. Dogs come here, they misbehave because they're not getting the right amount of exercise. They need to be exercised physically and mentally. If, if all you can do is grab a tennis ball and roll it up into a sheet and throw it on the floor and let your dog look for that tennis ball in that sheet, at least do that. You know, if you have to put on your makeup and throw a toy across the room while you're putting on your makeup, do that. But dogs need exercise, and people really need to consider that when they're looking for a dog. How much time in exercise do I really have for this dog? Not just in the summer, but in the winter when it rains and rains and it snows, and you're at somebody's house for Christmas, and yada, 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 yada. What daycare do you have close next to you that you can take your dog to to socialize it and give it exercise. Once the dog has had enough running and exercise, now it is settled so you can teach it something. And what is it that you want to teach your dog to do? What's the most important thing? You know, so the people just really need to examine what they want out of their dog. So what you just said is really, really touches on, for me, what is like, the most central thing to all of dog training. You know, like I used to, okay, so when I used to train dogs in the city, I would tell people, they would call me, you know, obviously only for problem behaviors. It wasn't, you know, it was to teach a dog to stop pulling. It wasn't to teach a dog to start healing or something like that. So, um, right. So, like, I would tell people, well, especially if it was an aggressive dog, because I did deal with a lot of aggressive dogs. Um, I would say I want you to exhaust your dog before I get there. Like, even if you take him for like an hour walk and he gets tired, like that's not enough. Like, let him take a fifteen minute nap and take him for another hour. Like, I really need. There you go. Yeah, I really need like an exhausted dog to worst start. Yeah, people just don't get that. Yeah, the the dogs dogs really a lot of the problem is they they are bred to run miles and miles every day every day and people just don't get that they think oh well i take him for a 15 minute walk every day right okay <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? that's probably why he's 15 pounds overweight <laughs> exactly um you know what before i let you go i want to i do want to ask and then we'll talk for a second off the air i do want to ask you about and this is something i i really am curious your expertise on i don't know exactly i don't have that much experience with this so 
I've seen before dogs around pools, and I'm sure you've seen this, especially like not not in a facility like yours, but like your average pet owner that doesn't have that much communication with their dog. They'll be throwing like a tennis pool and a a tennis ball in a pool. I'm talking about a dog that like loves pools and balls. And I see like an obsession that like seems really unbalanced sometimes in dogs where it's like, they're just barking and can't wait for the next throw to the point that they're like exhausted, but they don't want to stop. Yeah. A lot of dogs injure themselves. Um, in this situation because nobody's the adult in the room to say, no, you've had enough. Now we're going to go do this. So, yeah, I think when you only do one thing, it makes the dog obsessive. And that might be okay. If you own 8,000 sheep and your dog works sheep every day and then goes in a crate and then works sheep every day and goes in a crate. But most people don't have that as a situation. So I would say, change it up, you know, and it makes a better, well-rounded dog when you change it up, you know, use another part of your dog's brain. If the kid only colored in a color book when he's 21, he might be a pretty dull kid. <laughs> so you got to introduce other things and change it up. And that's the way dogs are. And they like the challenge and people will too. When I teach agility, I don't just make them do the same thing over and over for six months. Okay. We did this last week. Now we're doing this this week. Let's see how you do. Oh, you didn't do that good. Okay, I guess we'll need more practice. But, you know, you change it up and introduce stuff. And then at the end of six months, you can go back and repeat some of it. Or if the dog likes really likes something, maybe just do it two or three times and then switch to something else. Because obsession in a dog will only make you resent the dog. Because he'll be so focused on that, you can't get him to focus on anything else. That is fantastic advice. And dogs love new challenges. They do. And people do too. People should get tired of doing the same thing mm. over and over. Mm. All right, Nola. Um, how do people reach you? Um, another thing I started too, I'll just throw this out there sure, because sure. there might be some people who can get together at a dog park and do this on their own. Um, I started what is called a canine uh uh, drill team. And there's a bunch of us who get together, who work with our dogs and all kinds of stuff. And we actually do, we go to parades and we do drills with our dogs as though we were like a marching band. Uh -huh. And we make all these configurations and we actually took first place in our, in our parade uh, just a couple of months ago. But it's very fun. The dogs get to socialize with each other. The people get to socialize. You get to create this fun format. Okay, now you walk there, now you walk there, now you do this, you do that. If the dog knows a trick, make a circle and let that one dog do a trick in the middle of the circle. Really a fun thing to do, and people could do that everywhere. Is is the reason behind that that you're you know, showing them how to do the do the obedience under extreme um distractions? Yes. And it, it really it usually is for older dogs who have had some training. But you could start with little stuff with new dogs, and it just is a great way to socialize the dogs and make them focus on you while other things are going on around it. Mm, that's a great and idea. And it's fun. It's just really fun. Add a bottle of wine to it, and you can't find a better Friday night. I want to ask you a weird question, but you won't think it's weird. Um, and my listeners probably won't. What do you think about putting... Um, 
in order to deepen your connection and be able to do these types of things, especially in like chaotic atmospheres like a parade, what do you think about putting a vest on your dog that just says, don't pet me? Well, not that I guess it's not, not that, cre- yeah, I don't want, I mean, not in a way where it looks like it's mean, like he bites or no, something. No, no, I but. guess, I guess, I guess my thought is, you know, when you're trying to train a dog to shut down a certain part of itself, like, uh, like you have a blind, a guide dog for the blind, the dog needs to know he can't just walk up to people and get petted. Uh-huh. So you kind of shut that part down in the dog. So I think if you if you are training the dog and you're telling people not to pet it, I think you're kind of shutting that social part down in a dog. Got it. And that may serve as a purpose because I've trained dogs for veterans, service dogs for veterans, and you can't have dogs running up to just anybody at any time because it can be dangerous for the person who the dog is dependent on. But um, I think in general, I always tell people, oh, your dog ran up and jumped on me. Hey, good problem to have. Because the more friendly your dog is with other people, if it ever gets lost or misplaced, it's going to go to a stranger and you're going to find your dog. Um, It knows that strangers are a good thing. It's the dogs who are afraid to go to people that you usually have the bigger problem with. That's real interesting. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, I mean, let, let's, let's end it there. I definitely want to talk to you a little bit offline and, okay. um, yeah, I mean, uh, so, so how can, so again, this is Nola from performance dogs and action.com and how can people reach you or how do you prefer people reach you? Um, uh, people can just text me at our number. I usually try and get back to them. Um, Sundays we are open every Sunday except, um, the first Sunday of the month and holidays were closed. Uh, but usually people text me and they say, I'm so-and-so, I have a border collie, I'd like to have it heard it, evaluated, and um, like to see what you have going on. Okay. Do you and mind, I'll text them right back. Do you mind giving out your number, maybe even twice? No, not at all. It's area code 916 that's nine one six six five five one five five eight. And yes. uh, Nola, I just want to thank you so much. Uh, you do so much for dogs, and you just uh, what what you do really, really brings them fulfillment. And the dogs that get to go to your facility are very lucky. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you, and I get I get a lot from them too. All right. Well. Hopefully, we'll have you on again someday. All right. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thank you. Hi, lovely people. Thank you for listening to Dog Wizardry, voted most original podcast on the internet. Contact us and be part of the next conversation.